Good Wednesday morning, and today we'll be talking with John Patrick. John just finished speaking at the CMDA conference in Michigan, and he feels like he only got through half of what he wanted to, so we're going to pick up the rest on the podcast. Good. Good to see you. Uh, one of the things I did, which I've, I used to do quite often, I haven't done for a while, was I, I began the conference by reading a prayer. So often our evangelical prayers are, Lord, give me this, this, and this, and what's on special this week, which... Well, compared to this, Almighty God, give us a deep curiosity about all of your creation. Move us to search and to question. Give us insight and understanding, a retentive memory, and the patience to ponder and reflect. May I not stop short with knowledge, but proceed to the understanding of the heart, the wisdom to view the world with the eyes of faith, point out the beginning direct the progress, help the completion through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, That was written in the 13th century when they had time to think about what they were saying instead of what we do now, which is, well, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, That's Thomas Aquinas. And uh, I think it's one of the most beautiful prayers for anyone doing science, for instance. And certainly for what we're trying to do now, which is uh, reawaken the church to its mission in the world, which is to create the Christian mind. Everything we value in the Western world pretty well. And two people have said this. uh, One is the guy who wrote Dominion, Tom Holland, who in writing the book came to realize that he had missed out on understanding that Christian Christianity was responsible for everything that he truly loved, or Judeo-Christian thought. And the other one, of course, is Douglas Murray, who says much the same thing. He gets very upset by the attack on the West. I mean, Americans allow people there to, to, I don't know what to say, but to destroy their own culture or attempt to, and say everything in America is bad. It's such rubbish. We're all sinners, so we, we all accept that we're not perfect. But everybody's standing outside the door of the embassy of the USA, not the door of Saudi Arabia. And all the things I really love, the music I love, the architecture I love, the literature I love, it's all a product of Western culture. And one of the things we should be saying, quit talking about racism and start talking about culture. Race is a a small issue uh, in many respects. It's always wrong, and we all know that. Um, But it's small compared to culture. Uh, And we're often sliding from the one to the other without thinking about it. So we need to think about it. What was it about the story that we inhabit uh, that was different? And when we go back and look at the foundations... We realize you don't knock those down unless you want the building to fall over. Now, unfortunately, many of the people who are really angry at the moment want the building to fall over because they think somehow everything will be better afterwards. No, it won't. It'll be worse. Uh, And they might succeed, and then they're going to find out. So in thinking about that conference, I said, well, we need to go back to the beginning. Every, um, the person who made me think about this was Leon Cass, in a way. Uh, Leon Cass is a Jewish professor in Chicago, uh, a brilliant man, um, 
and he wrote a book on Genesis, reading Genesis for wisdom. He was George Bush's choice for the head of his ethics committee, although he is not a he was a secular Jew. But he wrote this at the beginning of the book. He said, this book is addressed to believers and non-believers alike. It should be a, of special interest to the thoughtful children of skeptics, people like the author, now have good reason to want to see themselves and learn firsthand what it was that their parents or grandparents rejected. For though we are knowledgeable, powerful and privileged with opportunities beyond our ancestors' wildest dreams, many of us remain psychically, morally and spiritually adrift. That's one of the cleverest men in the University of Chicago. Spiritually, morally uh, and psychically adrift. No foundations. Uh, we're trying not to pay any attention, sort of gussying up the appearance of the house without paying attention to the fact that a really big wind will blow it over. And he's a, he was aware of that. I, um, the book is a fascinating read. Uh, Lewis had sort of trained me many years ago, every sound argument must have at its beginning a premise which is self-evident. If nothing can be assumed to be true, then we can't have an argument in the first place. Not, not a logical one that would stand up all the way through. It would fall over. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make it. Now, Genesis begins with that recognition. In the beginning, God. Now, that's unacceptable to many of our contemporaries. And we have sort of let them get away with that to a degree that we shouldn't have done. Fortunately for us, there's a kind of second chance coming along, uh, particularly from the area of science. So in the beginning, God is not a, it's a possibility. Uh, we can't prove the existence of God in a way that's utterly uh, undeniable. And I, I, hopefully I'll get round to saying why that is so in a little bit. But on the other hand, the absence of God, which is what many people want now, tacitly if not actively, uh, that certainly can't be proved. A non proving the non-existence of something? Very difficult to do. And certainly sometimes, if God is as he appears to be in what we know second hand, so to speak, experientially, is certainly quite capable of hiding from anybody he wants to. You can't prove a negative. It's not possible. So they're starting. All you have to say is, can you prove the non-existence of God? No. Can I prove the existence of God? Not in a way that you will accept. But one of the two must be true. We used to have people who said in the beginning was matter. Uh, but Aristotle worked that one out a long, long while ago. I mean, he, he was of that ilk, but he realized there had to be something to stop the argument going back. When you get to who made God, who made God, who made God, that's an endless regression. You've got to stop somewhere. Uh, so it's actually a logical heresy, uh, error because... Uh, 
you won't have a proper conversation until you realize that's that's taking us nowhere so what we have to look at is the possibilities and he wanted an unmoved mover that was all that he gave in the direction but he realized to stop that regression he had to say there was something didn't know what it was but he thought the earth was eternal so matter made a reasonable place to start for him and now of course physics says no matter is not eternal everybody accepts the big bang and uh, if that's so who or what banged is the question and who makes more sense than what because you're trying to find out where what came from so Christians have nothing to be ashamed of in saying if you had to choose between the two hypotheses the Christian one is actually the Judeo-Christian one or all the world's great religions come to that but the Judeo-Christian one is the only one that matters to the Western world with any great importance that's the one we should take but matter no there was something before the big bang we can get to what is it microseconds or less than that but we can't get to what happened we don't know there was an incredibly big explosion the echoes are still being seen on the uh, the new telescope looking out into the distant space but um so one has to push this hard uh, you have to make them realize that their starting point the secularist is clearly not true they are behaving as though there is no god that's a tacit choice they made uh, material won't do it looks as though there's a mind behind the universe and i mean it's nice for us that two of the world's greatest atheistic uh, philosophers have both turned anthony flew who's now dead but he was the doyen of uh, atheistic philosophers when i was at university but at the end of his life he said i give up there's a mind behind the universe and uh, the american who took so much flack on uh, al daily when he came out and said there's a god in the cosmos behind the cosmos nagel he same process he said i want there to be no god but it bothers me a great deal but many of my colleagues whose reasoning i deeply respect believe there is one in the end he said there's a mind behind the universe which as far as i know is as close as he's got but when you've got to that you've made a big step forward so we need to talk about that a lot more than we do the first words of genesis ought to happen in a church sermon once a year in my view in the beginning god um an incredible start to the book uh the creator but uh, as cass points out so beautifully uh, yes every sound argument must have a start and god is a good one in the beginning god uh, or in the beginning some form of i well it's god again god says i am that's all that's my name everything stems from me and that's an incredibly solid foundation to stand on a lot can be built on it cassie's take on genesis 1 is very very thoughtful too um it uh, certainly uh, stopped me in my tracks i think i've probably mentioned this on this podcast before but it's so good it's worth repeating um 
I had never noticed till he pointed it out that we get used to it. It's a sort of mantra. He made this, he made this, he made this, and each time, and it was good, it was good, it was good. But two things are not said to be good. Do you know what they are? Then I'll test whether I've said it before, assuming your memory to be reasonable. Us? Adam? Adam, yes, but us more precisely. And what's the other one? I can't remember. The heavens. And the Jewish explanation for that is is brilliant. Uh, we don't do history anymore. If you did, you'd know that all the gods and goddesses in the nations around Israel, because everybody asks this question. They need a, an answer to it. Pagan uh, societies have local gods, but then they, as we developed, we, we had bigger and bigger concepts. But... Um, if you were a nomad living in the desert, herding your sheep, what was the most startling feature of nature that you ever saw? It was the sky at night. If you've ever had the good fortune to be outside light pollution, it's hard to do that in this world, but I've been done it a few times. Um, the stars are absolutely awe-inspiring. So... Their creation stories are basically gods and goddesses copulating in the skies and producing everything else. And God says, no, I made them. And just as a throwaway ironic line, he said, and I made the stars too. What a throwaway. And us, we understand why, which brings to the, the second most important point that we need to establish when we're arguing with anybody from the other side of the argument is that we are fallen creatures. We have a problem. And I think the way that I do it works, so I encourage other people to do it as well. I, I say, just imagine that I can put a bubble over your head with all your thoughts on display, and you're going to live like that. I'll be kind just for a week. What are you going to do? And of course, everyone is going to hide. Everyone, without exception. Politicians could, wouldn't, they'd be in the deepest rut of all. They'd only talk on their phone and say, has it, has it finished yet? Because we all have nasty thoughts of one way or another. We're fallen creatures. So the Bible gets both of them right immediately. And the more you look at them, we say, yeah, that's true. That's who we are. We know what good and evil are. And we try to, we do want to do good to a considerable degree, but we're not totally free. We all have some sort of recurrent behavior in our lives which we wish wasn't there. But the Bible starts by saying it's, that's the problem, although that doesn't come till the second chapter. Now, the next thing, you see how much is there in that first chapter that's already eroding the position of the wokists altogether. Um, the other thing that's there is that that I had never noticed, Adam doesn't say a word in the first chapter. It says, we'll create male and female, created he that. But there's not a word spoken. The first words that Adam says is when he sees Eve and says, wow, hardly an exciting start in terms of language, but uh, exciting in terms of what it's telling us about who we are. Um, so brilliant insights from this 
secular Jew who realizes that secular Jews have lost something too. And they're coming to life. So it's worth, certainly worth reading Casper, worth reading Genesis a bit more slowly than we usually do. We read it and think, oh, I've done that. I know that story anyway. Uh, but Cass also had an interesting discussion about are we really people until we speak? That's what's different about us and all the other animals. We have abstract concepts immediately. Adam, when he sees Eve, immediately has an abstract concept. <laughs> wow, she's beautiful. Uh, not the same as the animals. Uh, they don't say, wow, they go straight at it immediately. Uh, but immediately, Adam is stopped in his tracks, so to speak. And God says, it's not good for you to be alone. And now you've got someone to talk to. Um, we know bits of how that went along. And the story that we all know of how we get into trouble. Milton put it beautifully. Uh, the, the initial story is, I will not serve, which is Satan's mantra. I mean, Satan says in Paradise Lost, it is better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. And that's very much part of our society, isn't it? Domination. I mean, the, the, the secular people want to say the world is entirely about power differentials well, no it's not they're there and they're in us we desire to dominate in one way or another uh, but in the end uh, we all come to the end of our, our lives and we leave as we arrived helpless but why don't we talk about that it's not an option to us in the long run we can dominate in short bursts but it doesn't work the Anglican prayer book gets it beautifully right, where in morning prayers it has a wonderful line, whose service is perfect freedom. Uh, the wokists misunderstand freedom too. Uh, plenty of people have understood the problem of freedom over the way, way back. Uh, beautifully uh, summarized by Lord Acton, he said, freedom is not the freedom to do what you wish but the freedom to do what you ought. And that is a freedom, isn't it? And when you're in a difficult situation and you want to take the bad but easy way out and you actually say, Lord, I need some help, it comes. Almost invariably, I think, if, I think if, the, if the request is genuine, it gets answered. Uh, and we have the courage to do what we ought. I mean, that has been true of human beings throughout the whole of history. I mean, people sacrifice their lives for other people. That doesn't make any sense in a, a Darwinian world. It's not a battle for my survival over yours. At our best, we see bigger and more important and worthwhile things. I mean, referring to the people who lived through the Second World War as the greatest generation is not entirely wrong, is it? Uh, and they died for something they thought was worth dying for. And we will fight them on the beaches, you know, and 
the Brits responded to that. And uh, I don't know whether it's true, whether it's apocryphal or really true, but, but it's said that Churchill escaped um, his security for a while and actually went on the underground. Uh, just got on, went down the nearest hole in the ground and got on the subway or the underground, as they call it in London. And the people recognised him and applauded. And he started talking to them uh, in ordinary one-on-one -on -one conversations with ordinary people. And he said, it's very, very difficult. We could probably negotiate a peace for us for the time being, but Hitler won't be satisfied in the long run. But what do you think we should do? I think we should fight. And they all said we should fight. It's not, we can't just have peace in our time. Tried that with Chamberlain and his bit of paper. But ordinary people had already got there and he went back and uh, the apocryphal story is that, that was the, the starting point for that incredible speech of we will fight them in the hills, on the beaches. We will never, never give in. Brilliant. Brilliant. And that also is human history. Uh, it's in Roman history, a ratio on the, bre on the bridge, you know. Uh, you find it everywhere, courage. And where courage is put to work for a good thing, people remember it. That's good history that we should be teaching our children. Uh, what uh, Lincoln said uh, after the battle, his incredible few lines of, of speech, uh, just stunningly good, uh, written on the back of an envelope, I think. Um, it's a lovely article some mm, several years ago, somewhere around 2020, uh, on language, which has a lovely discussion of Lincoln's speech um, by Esselen, um, Anybody who's interested, Esalen around 2020 on language. Uh, the, the way in which he evoked what are essentially echoes of scripture in that speech, using thee, not you. Um, it, it's all part of our culture. And culture is much slower to produce. And for evangelicals, we need to think a lot more about it. We major in conversion, nothing, nothing wrong with being very concerned about conversion. For, for each individual, it's the most important uh, event in their lives. Uh, I hate to use the word choice because I think that immediately gives it away. I think conversion is something that happens to you. It's not against your will, but to make yourself the active agent in your conversion is to get the cat and the mouse the wrong way round. God comes to us. And uh, it's lovely to see someone like Jordan Peterson writing and say, I, I find this hard to believe, but I believe in Jesus. He doesn't know how that's happened. Welcome to the club. Neither did Lewis know how it had happened. And he wasn't pleased about it, step one. I mean, that famous bit where uh, he got down on his knees and gave in and said, perhaps 
He was dragged into the kingdom, kicking and struggling, perhaps the most unhappy man in England that night. Because he realised his whole world was going to be turned upside down. And he wasn't pleased about that because he was a, a thoughtful man. I mean, he, he came to rejoice in the grace in due course, but his initial response is, oh, this is not, I was going to say all hell, but it wasn't. But for him, he, he'd been, you know, a sceptic, and now it had been taken away, and he was going to have to talk about why and how, and he did it brilliantly. So it's true that all of us should talk about our conversions a lot whenever we get the chance, but we should do it honestly. You heard the story many times before you became a Christian, so it wasn't the story as such that did it. And we need, perhaps in the evangelical church, to, to be a little more humble in saying, I, I don't know how God did it. What I do know is that he did. Uh, and that's what Jesus tells us to do. I mean, the command to everybody is go and tell what the Lord has done for you. The people who do it best are Down syndrome children. Once they hear the story of Jesus and Jesus loves them, they love back and they talk that way because it's real to them. I think more real to them than it is to us, probably. Uh, wonderful. So we, we don't lay these foundations sufficiently thoroughly, and we need to. And when we do, we're going to make the next step more easily. Now, I don't know if you've got any comments, because Harry Critz suggested that I draw you into the conversation. We should talk to Harry about up in your internet speed, because I think we, you and I get quite the lag <laughs> when we chat, um, which I think hinders me from trying to jump in sometimes. Uh, one yeah. question I would have for you, at the, at the end you just talked about, um, talking about what the Lord has done for you. Would you just share your response to that question? Oh, it depends where I am because he's done so much. Um, that's that's what's so astonishing. And the fact that I'm here talking to you about this, it, it's all highly unlikely. It's called grace. Um, yeah, it can stop me in my tracks. The only thing that causes me to cry, actually, with monotonous regularity is witnessing grace come into someone's life i can go into a tragedy and do what's necessary you know uh, do triage uh, recognize i'm not going to save that patient if i spend time on them someone else is going to die uh, i can do that and i won't i won't be emotionally engaged you, you couldn't function if you were that comes later but grace oh that that just stops me in my tracks. Um, the one I used last weekend, I used quite often, is a, a young man whose name I've forgotten now, but um, uh, he recognized me by my voice in Blantyre Airport in Malawi. Uh, I was in Malawi. We'd just been to visit our daughter. We were doing a trip around uh, Zimbabwe, Malawi, and South Africa. And, yeah, I, I, some bits of my body don't work so much, so long trips leave me a bit stiff and curmudgeonly. And uh, we 
the airport is too small. Uh, it was built when the biggest plane was a Dakota, and uh, now they're bigger. So uh, when we got to the waiting area, Sally got the last seat. So uh, I was standing up and not happy about it. The guy next to her had put a bag on the seat. And I said to him, sir, is anyone coming for that seat after a minute or two? And he looked up from his Kindle and said, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. And he moved the seat, said, sit down. I, said, I don't notice what's happening around me either when I'm reading my Kindle. And he stopped dead and he said, have we met before? And I said, two white guys in the middle of Africa. It's not very likely, is it? And he said, no, I don't recognize you. It's your voice. You gave some lectures in Cape Town in 1998, didn't you? I said, about then. Uh, he said, the reason I don't recognize you is I wasn't at the lectures. I was a medical student and I was on an elective. The lectures were in Cape Town Medical School. But my good friend, Ben Gaunt, uh, I said, I remember Ben. He said, well, he recorded all those talks on tape. And when I got back, he gave me a set of tapes and I wore them out. He said, I wouldn't be sitting here in Blantyre Airport if I hadn't heard you on tape. We had to leave South Africa because of the violence, but they got to be too much for my wife. But the best bit of my year is the time I spend helping in a hospital in Malawi every year. And that's all due to you. There was me uh, complaining about my lots. It was a smart rap over the knuckles and saying to me, you are highly privileged. You better appreciate that fact. Now that happened twice more on that trip. So three times in a month, someone wanted to meet me uh, for beautiful reasons uh, that they said had changed their lives for good. Uh, that's, that's pure grace. Uh, I'm not the nicest guy on earth by any means. I have a tongue like a rapier when it gets going, so it's, it's done an immense amount of da damage on occasions for which I am duly uh, rebuked every now and again. But uh, So that's one example, but uh, perhaps uh, one could do some more on another occasion. It's not, it, it, Those things are powerful, aren't they? Telling your own story is something that even the wokeys can't stop you doing. So when you're talking to someone, set them up in that way and, and don't be shy about sharing what God has done for you. It will work. He, he's asked you to do it, so he will work at it. He, he, he will make sure it works. Uh, I love, I mean, I, I, I go back to John 16. Whenever I'm going to be talking in a liberal environment, I remind myself of the promise that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You don't have to do that. They're arguing with the Holy Spirit. You can assume those categories that there's real righteousness, there's real sin, and there's real judgment. Um, because everybody actually knows that deep down, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and nobody can confront him and stop him doing that. The interesting thing is that the people I'm arguing with who ought to say, I don't accept your premise, they have never said it once. That, that shows there's a power that's at work out there. They're, they're smart. They should have recognized it immediately, but not once. They just because 
they're not arguing with me. Thank you, Dr. John, and thank you guys all for listening. If you guys are enjoying this, please leave a review, or you can ask John a question if you want something answered. You can go to the links in the description below, or you can go to johnpatrick.ca forward slash ask. Thank you again, and we'll see you guys next week.